This is Lance Howard, and I want to welcome you back to the Healing Voice Podcast. In this episode, Josh and Katie Bischoff are back. They spent two years in Liberia with the Peace Corps and have been back in the U.S. for about 10 months, after which they were on episode three, titled Life in and After Liberia. In this episode, we talk about life and death in Liberia, the differences between the Liberian idea of crisis and that of America. Liberians are more concerned for America than themselves. We discuss the illusion of control and fear of the unknown. How our ideas and definitions of freedom are based in the context of our lifestyles. We talk about universal basic income and self-sufficiency. And we briefly touch on politics. Toward the end, I mention my next book, The Identity Process, and how the ego is our greatest enemy in creating a better future. Our conversation continues on into a ramble about space exploration as an example of a common goal that could unite humanity when approached properly. I hope you enjoy this episode. So I think what got us there was we were talking about the idea of like, was it worth it to... Shut everything down. Right. Um, was it necessary? And the pushback on that that I have been hearing from friends is, you know, you would think it is if you lost a family member. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I think that in our society, in the developed world, we don't have to cope with death as often as right. our society did a few decades ago even and so it is thought of as a big traumatic event and it comes so infrequently in our lives that it's a really big deal Um, whereas at least in Liberia and I would imagine that this is true for a lot of the developing world who has the same type of um, infrastructure and uh, lack of sanitation and that kind of thing Mm-hmm. Um, Healthcare. That, yeah. Um, that death is simply a common everyday occurrence. Um, you know, you have lots of children expecting that not all of them will make it. You have these huge extended families that um, on a regular basis lose someone because the numbers just dictate that it be so. Mm. And you get used to people around you all the time. Um, being, they say, bereaved, having recently lost someone. Okay. I remember our uh, our first week of training. The first couple days, they have you at the training center and just kind of give you a sec to recover from jet lag and get your bearings. And then um, they have one of the existing, like currently serving volunteers, take you out for a walk around town to have your first glimpse of what life is like outside the walls of the training center. And uh, as my small group was doing that, we ran into one of the teachers that our volunteer guide taught with, because it happened to be her hometown, um, her site that she was living at. And um, she greeted him and uh, I think said something about, oh, I didn't see you at school the other day. He said, yeah, I'm bereaved. And I forget who it was. I want to say it was like his mother or his wife 
a close family member had just died. Mm -hmm. And um, so she she said my condolences and all of the appropriate things. And we kept going. And then um, when we got back to the training center, we were just asking questions about what we had seen and um, things that we wanted to better understand. And someone said something about that. And she said, yeah, this sounds awful, but you'll get used to death. Like, it won't feel like a big deal to um, Whoa. to have to offer your condolences to your friends and people you know all the time. Um, and it, it did feel like um, almost every day you go to school, there would be a staff member who was bereaved and uh, had to be away from school for that. It was a very common occurrence. Wow. So it just... It, it's such a frequent part of life in other parts of the world that um, what we're trying to prevent here wouldn't be a big deal to them. But it is to us. We're not used to losing family members. Right. Um, well, the thing too with Liberia was it wasn't just that, it wasn't just, it wasn't like uh, older people or, you know, um, sick people like you would you'd lose young kids, healthy people died all the time, whether it was from accidents or, mm-hmm. so you got used, not just to, you know, people who live full lives, but you got used to seeing, you know, people suffer through loss of children a lot more than I would say here, you know, you don't, right. a child dying here is a big, big thing, mm-hmm. most time. Right. Yeah. But, you know, I don't even, can't even remember how many times, you know, I've heard of, had students that died, or siblings of students die, or you know, mm-hmm. losing you or know, students losing their own children. Or students, yeah, was, we had older. You know, students. under five is the really high risk. If a kid makes it past the age of five, they've got a much better fighting chance. Okay. Um, but the the secondary students were old enough that they would have kids under five, and so that was you know, eighteen to twenty five years old. So they typically. Yeah. They're expected to have kids most most of the time, I believe. Mm. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, I'd say that that's a big one too, is getting used. But that but see that's the thing with this 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 whole thing here is it's not affecting children seem to be almost bulletproof. I mean they carry it. Right. But right. isn't it kind of fascinating that they they can they, they are getting it, but they're not symptomatic. It's not yeah. hurting kids. Like that's bizarre. Yeah. That's so interesting. It is yeah. interesting. But also puts the and kids I mean, who have pre-existing conditions at even higher Right. And like, that's exactly why we had to close schools. Is and there have been kids that have died from this, sadly. But, I mean, yeah. right. not, you know, it's, you know, it's a normal, it's almost, if you look at the, the last time I looked at the numbers, it looked like pretty much a normal distribution. You know, the, and it centered around older people mm-hmm. were the majority. And then yet on either, the ages tailed off because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that's not normal distribution but not on age right. well on the upper end of the age spectrum it is right just not on the lower i think that's also why um even though liberians have a common religion with a lot of americans they practice it and feel it in a very different way yeah um, okay they're, yeah, I was I was gonna ask what they're pretty literal. <laughs> yes, okay. they are. They are definitely like Old Testament Christians. Okay, uh, very literal. 
you fire and brimstone yeah that kind of, that okay. kind of preaching uh-huh. mm-hmm. <laughs> to to go into a liberian church or just to hear them talk about it in daily life which they do very frequently mm-hmm. um will remind you of southern evangelical pentecostal okay um very intense right. lots of singing lots of dancing lots of they usually usually a set of drums in every Oh yeah, in every church. That's all you need for a church is a Liberian voice and a drum. <laughs> Some traditional drums usually. Yeah. Well, that, that was what was I gonna say? The uh, one of the, that was an eye opener too with how much their faith is what gets them through live a life that is hard is as hard as it is over there. Right. And uh, basically, a lot of the preachers are not for the preachers. What would you call them? Say reverend, preacher, pastor, reverend, minister. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard I've heard him say before, or I've I heard him say more than once was that because of all the suffering, they they live almost they preach a doctrine of the more you suffer on this earth, the greater the greater your salvation will be in the afterlife. That kind of thing. Really, I've heard that yeah. a lot. Yeah, hmm. as a way of like you know. Something, yeah. I mean, it's, it's to me it was. I don't morbid's not the right word, but almost almost saddening, but more like kind of a, a visceral reaction to it because it's you know you're almost telling people the only thing they have to look forward to in life is death. Right. And I've always been not very, you know, because that's what you know a lot of a lot of a lot of faiths promote. You know the. You'd be rewarded in the afterlife. The afterlife mm-hmm. is better than this life. I was like, well, then why are you, then why are you wasting your time here? Right. Just go, you know, like it just—it always seemed. Just you check out. It. <laughs> right. So I've never, I've never appreciated that. Ask, you know, I come from the Bible Belt and I've heard it all my life, and I've never, I've never understood that part of the God, preaching that kind of gospel. Right. <clears throat> but over there, um, it seems to be what gets people most people you know through the day is the idea is you know you suffer and toil on this earth mm-hmm. and the more you suffer and toil the, the, the greater better your you know the afterlife right. will be and, you know mm-hmm. so it's almost a way to encourage people to to keep working even though you're suffering yeah so that was I mean I don't know visceral is a kind of the right word but it's just like kind of a gut check mm-hmm. like holy crap you know moment when you hear people talking about that and talking in that way and promoting that and you know it's it's interesting to me that the more economic despair there is whether in in it like hearing you talk about Liberia reminds me of hearing similar messages where I came from um, as a young boy where economically people just were worse off you know yeah and so i and i didn't hear the well the more you suffer the greater the afterlife is as much as um as you suffer you should kind of know or understand that um your faith in in God is is how you make it through the suffering, right? Right, right. It's a way to they li- that whole carrying you th- carrying you through your pain and all mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. 
And so it's interesting that we could possibly say or imagine that the more that economic disparity exists or, or struggle exists, the more extreme the message begins to kind of crank and turn. Well, and then you got individual preachers too that take those same words that are written in every Bible mm-hmm. and they're giving their, their interpretation. But yeah, probably with that mm-hmm. extra... Uh, like almost like pressure mm-hmm. or, or societal pressure because or because of the hardship. Right, right. And yeah, it's interesting, right? We we, we might think of the word um, faith as like I know in my from my Western world Bible Belt, you know, being raised in in the Bible Belt, um, I my mind immediately wants to attach faith to some type of uh, religious experience, but um, we are finding, I I think humans find faith in in anything at all. It's like, what is going to be the thing that's just going to get me through the next stage? Yeah, we create our own, uh, what, what is it? Not like support system, but... You know, you you could argue that we worship the dollar an awful mighty, you know, you a go. lot. There you go. And uh, we we've turned it into a cult almost. Mm-hmm. Have you guys uh, talked to any of your friends or associates in Liberia through the last month or so? And oh like, yeah, how mm-hmm. are what are you hearing from them? Oh, they're on they're on full lockdown too. Okay, but they're they're kind of they're kind of used to it. I mean, they just came out of Ebola and. Um, they're basically just reinstituting similar policy. Yeah. Right. Um, so it's kind of almost, it's already ingrained in the culture. Wash your hands all the time and put up hand washing stations. That was a big thing when we were there, mm-hmm. providing hand washing stations at schools. It started because of Ebola, or it, it was enforced and people finally started doing it because of Ebola. And then it was kind of, you know, it was left over and, almost falling out of culture again. Right. Because washing your hands yeah. is not a common thing sure. in general. Yeah. With soap. A lot, yeah. a lot of times just dipping your hands in water and then you're done. You know, that's washing your hands. Right. right. And so how how would you say this affects them economically? They their their economic problems are I mean, I, I'm sure, I'm sure there's got to be some like supply issues eventually with them, and it might be such a thing that they're more affected. Will be like the, the effects on them will be more down the line. Okay. Because they have so little already, or they they get so little that it's not like every there's ships every day coming in, mm-hmm. delivering goods into Liberia. Right. And so they're you know they they get a ship you know maybe once every two weeks or I don't actually it's probably more often than that but whatever whatever the rate is like you know they they might have more time before they start getting hit but I, I don't know like there's also the argument that poor poor countries are going to get hit harder because of this yeah. so but I, I think it's going to be more down the line because of the way their economy works ours is immediate you know like we're seeing effects immediately because everyone's our whole country operates on credit mm-hmm. right so if you can't pay your bills then you can't do anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would say that it's uh, the effect is very inconsistent over there. Okay. Um, 
we've heard different things from different people. <laughs> so, and this is third hand, I guess. Um, in talking to one of my volunteer friends who still has a boyfriend back there, um, he had shared that the strategy was there are four out of the 15 counties that they're focusing on having a curfew, basically. They're like, you can go about your usual day from eight to three, and then outside of that, you're supposed to be staying home. Okay. Um, but we've also heard and seen things, uh, Josh's students have shared videos on Facebook of like police going into a market and just throwing everything on the ground and insisting that the market shut down and everyone go home. Oh yeah, they, they'll, they, uh, there's a lot of videos I've seen, they just trash the market, they just, cops will come through and beat whoever's in the way with batons and then, sorry, I was trying to call him. He just called me yesterday. Yeah. Um, so it really depends on where you are in the country and whether the police decide to do something that day. <laughs> um, which is, it's just like daily life there all the time. Things are randomly enforced or not. And, you know, every now and then uh, someone higher up gets some um, pushback or pressure on something that the outside world feels they should be doing and say, you know, if you're expecting to get aid from us, you should be doing better at enforcing this. And so then all of a sudden for a week, that one thing is getting enforced. Right. Um, right. So yeah, life over there is completely random. And I would say that the effect of the virus so far has been the same. Um, They're supposed to be getting, it's either through the IMF or what's the Africa one, the African, Oh, What's IMF? The Union? International the Monetary Union. Fund. Okay. Are you referring to the African Union? Is it the African it's Union? They, they, they get a lot of funds from Africa. Is it African Union they, they get? I'm not sure. I don't know. They're getting like something like 20 or $40 million in aid. And you know that money's just... They, they're so damn corrupt. The say, government is, is so corrupt. Where's this money coming from and who's actually getting they're, it? They're going to use that money to... What I heard, they're going to use it to subsidize the rice and cut the rice in half, the price of rice in half. Okay. It's that's how they view everything through freaking rice. Yes. The price of rice basically is like the touchstone They're, of the politics, of the culture, like yeah. everything centers around that damn rice bag. I would say there are three things that you can ask a Liberian to get an idea for how things are going up over there. Mm -hmm. What's the cost of a bag of rice? Mm -hmm. Um, yes. what's the cost of gas mm -hmm. and what's the rate, meaning the exchange rate from Liberian dollars to American. Mm -hmm. Those three things will tell you whether they're in true crisis or they're kind of on the edge or like things are just normal. <laughs> Those are the only three things yeah, that matter there. Normal, normal is like borderline crisis though. To us, well, yeah, but not right, to them. Right. Right. Like right. their day-to-day -day life is, doesn't always feel like crisis to them, even though they're probably only making enough money for that night's rice. Right. But it's still like, that's normal to them. So that's not crisis. Mm -hmm. um, some of the weird things that we've heard, uh, taxis would normally carry six passengers. We heard they're only allowing two. Uh, motorbikes normally carry three or four. We heard they're only allowing one. Whoa. So. Normal size motorcycle. <laughs> wow. So. 
theoretically they're instituting social distancing practices. Gotcha. But again, that's real inconsistent. Like the people we're hearing that from live in the county that the capital is in. Okay. I guarantee you go outside of a main city, no one's following that. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like, how the hell are they even going to know if people are dying from it? Right. They won't. We don't even have they test won't. kits in the richest country in the world. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, in, in the only people that have tested positive are people that can afford to go right. to the hospital. Right. Right. And so, who, it, and, and if the you way think they, about how regular death is, why would you go to you, the hospital? Well, and well, and you just you aren't going to know that that's what it is necessarily. Mm. Like with Ebola, there was no escaping it. Right. If you died because you bled out, that was obviously Ebola. Mm-hmm. Corona, they have all kinds of different right. viruses and illnesses well, that man, kill them all the time. My man right. just told me yesterday that he's he's been sick with malaria and typhoid. Which is a regular go-to thing to blame things on. Like, you typically just don't get an illness diagnosed. You right. just stay at home and try to get better. Right. So, like, they could have the, they could have the COVID virus and just have, I think it's malaria. Yeah. Although, if they treat themselves with the damn <laughs> prophylactic, not, yeah, prophylactic. chloroquine, was it? Yeah, hydrochloroquine. Mm-hmm. Like, they, there aren't the ones that can afford it. Hell, they might be, their, their death rates may not even be that bad. Who knows? And but if the stats for like malaria are what I think they are, kills more people than it, anything else in the world. It kills a lot of pe- a lot mm-hmm. more people than what we're seeing with Yearly. Corona. So what we're talking about in Liberia, statistically, it seems like they have less to worry about. Well, they might be accidentally with, treating with Corona. Yeah, they yeah. might accidentally be treating the COVID virus if they get it with what they would normally be treating themselves for malaria. Right. Because mm-hmm. it's an anti-malaria. Yeah. Uh, drug that they're that they're promoting I as see. the maybe oh. cure. Although, didn't they say that they're using it in conjunction with an antibiotic? Yeah, but who knows? Like the antibiotic is your body gets you know your immune system gets compromised and you get something else. Right. Mm-hmm. That still doesn't make it's never made any sense to me why an antibiotic why well, use it yep. would right. in conjunction with an antiviral. Right. Like if it's a virus, my best guess is that it's a preventative measure. Anywho, yeah, so things are weird over there, but it doesn't seem like, like he, it's not too bad because he's actually like, our, he's like, we're praying for you people. Like, like right. they're concerned about Liberians us. are concerned for us. Okay. Which and is why? a good point because we're kind of the cash cow of the world. <laughs> kind of, we kind of give away a lot of money to everybody. But, but also, I don't, I don't, they definitely think that the virus is a real threat to our personal lives, not so much for them personally. As a country. So the feeling that I got when they were expressing their concern was they see this as like our Ebola. Like the U.S. doesn't normally have an outbreak of a large disease that's killing thousands of people, right? That shuts us down. It's never happened before. And their perspective on the world and experiences is mostly based on their own, what they've seen within Liberia because they haven't been able to travel broadly, etc. And so all they can do is find the thing in their own experience that is most similar to this and relate it to that, right? right so the thing in their recent personal experience that's most similar to this is their experience with Ebola mm-hmm. as a country. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the idea that we have to quarantine and we're 
doing hand washing and all of that stuff. Like there's a lot of similarities in their mind. Mm -hmm. So I think that they are honestly concerned for our health and safety is the way it came across to me because that's how they um, are able to relate to what's going on for us. They've never seen a time before where the U.S. was experiencing something like this. Right. Well, there might be a little bit too, like if, if it's affecting us like this, like it's going to... It's obviously bad, right? I think right. there's a lot of that, too. If we're so big and powerful, like if it can bring us down like no one else, it's going to yeah. bring down everybody. I think there's a lot of, a lot of the fear, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, we eva- and we evacuated. Like, there's no... all our Most of our personnel, USAID, um, a lot of NGOs, a lot of people that are from America evacuated and went back. Mm-hmm. From, well, not just Liberia, but all over, but... Mm-hmm. Um, there was definitely so, a lot of confusion there. What we've heard from evacuated volunteers is that their communities, their families, their friends at site did not understand why the U.S. would be taking them from a place where they were safe and there was no cases and putting them in the middle of an outbreak. Like They thought that Peace Corps was doing what was counterintuitive to right. protect those volunteers. Yeah. So that's how they're viewing the U.S. right now is that this is dangerous that we have the largest outbreak in the world mm-hmm. and this is not a safe place to be sending people. Right. Which I mean, well, the theory was that it was going to spread everywhere badly. And so if you get sick in the middle of the bush, like you're done, you're not going to get help or even, even in the, even in the hospitals in the city. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think there's that... not much there for healthcare. So the idea was like, if you get it there, we can't do anything for you. Right. If you get it here, like your chances of survival are way higher. Okay. That was I, most of the I also thinking. don't think that it was specific to the virus at all. It was a reaction to the world's reaction because the Peace Corps only puts you in a place where they feel they can quickly and safely evacuate you if you have a health condition. So, like, being in Liberia, the health infrastructure there is even worse than a lot of other countries where Peace Corps serves. And so um, there are a lot of people who would be able to serve in other countries who would not pass the requirements to be able to serve in Liberia. Because... Was it one of, or if not the hardest place to serve? That's what we've heard a lot. There's ranked... Mm. It was ranked the most difficult place to serve because of lack of roads, lack of... Uh, infrastructure, lack of health care, okay. food availability, you know, all the uh, transportation ability. Like, it, it, was, it was ranked, I'm pretty sure it was ranked the, the hardest place to serve. Okay. So, Peace Corps will only allow you to continue living in that situation if they feel that were you to have a medical emergency, they could get you out and get you to the care that you need. And sometimes that means it's something that can be handled in the capital. Sometimes that means they medevac you to another country on the same continent. For us, it was Morocco, typically, that volunteers would be sent to. They had a regional health center that could offer um, better quality services than we had in country. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it meant being medevaced back to the United States. Um, So... I think Peace Corps' response wasn't necessarily because they feared a volunteer getting COVID at sight. It was because any other health problems that came up, with everyone shutting their borders and flights being canceled, they could no longer medevac you. Okay. And so that's why they made the urgent call, was that they saw 
in the next 72 hours, we're going to lose all of this ability. We have to get them out before that has. And it happens. did too. They, they stopped flying into Liberia like within days. Yeah. There were. Shut it down. There were groups of volunteers coming from countries in Africa who were stuck bouncing from place to place for a week waiting for flights to be able to get out I because see. things, they would get to one spot and then things would get canceled and they'd get moved somewhere else. So um, I I do feel that they made the right call. Mm-hmm. Um, considering that we had more volunteers who went home early because of medical than anything else. And it was just random, weird things. <laughs> uh, perhaps pre-existing conditions that you would never have known about had you not chosen to live in a very different environment under you put stress conditions. on your body all the things that yeah stress is a major factor yeah in, in the well, whole idea yeah yeah stuff yeah like you said the, the illnesses or conditions that are basically you know if you live healthy or you know you live well mm-hmm. they are going to affect you but you put stress on your body all of a sudden this stuff just comes crops mm-hmm. up your immune system is suppressed immune right yeah yeah. I mean, we did have some like motor, a couple motorbike wrecks, that people broken bones, got sent home, accidents, that kind of stuff. Yeah, and just freak accidents. Like we had one who went to the beach because there was a beach at her site, and was having fun with friends and splashing in the ocean, and a wave came up and hit her in the face, and something went in her eye, and just tore the heck out of. Mm. the inner workings of her eye. And so they sent her first to Morocco and then back to the U.S. Um, She went through tons of different doctors and they did everything that they could and they reached a point where they said, honestly, we don't know if you'll ever get your sight back in that eye or not, but there's nothing further that we can do. And she said, all right, then send me back. (laughs) You know, if there's nothing else that you can do for me here, there's no reason for me to stay here. She was blinded in that eye, right? She can't see out of it. I think she might have like 10% or something, but yeah. Like permanent. She's blind. Permanently will never get her sight back fully in that eye. So just random stuff like that happens. And, uh, you know, Peace Corps has this liability that they need to be able to send you for treatment if something like that happens. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about uh, stress in times like these, fear especially. because it seems like what I'm hearing is that the people of Liberia are probably they them they are less concerned about the virus and how it, it affects their way of life because their way of life has has already kind of been uh, along these lines anyway for a very very long time and they're like rock. they're like born into this uh, way of life where you never know what tomorrow's going to be food on the table or not Mm -hmm. sickness or not death or not um i guess a lot of people here because we're not accustomed to that way of living are very stressed are very concerned um the way we live our lives economically essentially living on credit all the time um is a way of life for most of us which in some ways doesn't put us in a better position at all than the people who have nothing, (laughs) right? Like they have nothing. Um, And so in a way, maybe day by day, their life itself is the credit line that they have because that's all they have, right? Yes. But here, 
our our way of living, how we um, expect to maintain our abundance, I guess I, I would say is totally attached to the amount of funds we can bring in. And because that's such a paycheck to paycheck situation for most of us or or close to it, our stress is immediately tied to just knowing that, man, like I may not have a job in a week or, or I haven't had a job in a month now and whatnot and how how that may affect our viewpoint of the virus more than anything else, even when the stats are now saying, okay, we thought up to 200,000 people could die in a certain amount of time. Now that number is way reduced, but our that hasn't necessarily um, relaxed our stress or fear about the situation. Mm-hmm. Although I think a lot of it is, you know, living with the idea that you have no control yeah it's pretty big right like when we were over there like we've we've talked a lot about like this feels like a lot of the conditions we were experiencing in liberia like you weren't like we were on lockdown multiple times over there where you couldn't leave your site you still go to school there are times when you there are some places you couldn't even go to school they didn't even want you leaving your house um and you know so and that could happen at any time um and for a lot of people there, like, you know, there is no, you don't really have a lot of control over what happens to you in your life. Mm-hmm. You know? And I think that's what we're experiencing now is there's, we're, as a country, we're very independent-minded people, do what we want, you know, especially the government doesn't tell us what to do, other people don't tell us what to do, as long as we play by the rules, we're free to do what we want, and now we're being told, we're, we're, that's been taken away, that, that freedom of movement. Right. Freedom of so assembly, freedom, you know, freedoms that are actually God-given to us, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, all of a sudden, we're being told that arbitrarily we're going to take those away from you. I think a lot of people, whether or not they realize that's the reason, I think that's causing a lot of stress too. And, yeah. and not and for us, you know, I'm starting, I'm starting to get frustrated for different reasons. But as far as like the day-to-day, like getting used to all of it. If, you know, we felt like we've always been talking that it doesn't seem to affect us as negatively because we, it's like we never, we never really got back. Yeah. You know, we're, we're still, we're still in like Liberia mode almost. Yeah. Because. So it hasn't been a year yet. Right. It'll be a year in. July. July. July, yeah. August. So three months. Okay. Yeah. Three or four months. But now it's year. been, you know, so we, we were in like, nor- like. We were in a transition period for, for us personally. We were in a transition period. Right. And all of a sudden this stuff happens and it's like thrown us back almost. So it's, it's not, as if that transition period was just an interlude. Right. <laughs> Instead of being a like return I still, to something. I still find it difficult to have conversations with like people I don't know. Because I don't, it's like I don't even know what to tell, tell, uh, talk to people about. Right. But that was going on before all this. Yeah. And so like. I guess that's the only negative side, like getting used to that again. As sure. far as like in general, I think the la- the laws, the not having control over your life or the the this big unknown thing hanging over everybody mm-hmm. that you can't affect or don't seem to be able to affect. It's outside your control. I think that's a huge, yeah, a huge thing going on right now. A huge um, 
yeah. problem or issue. Right. Yeah. It's it's the combination of lacking control and predictability. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's, that, that's that, that normalcy. Feeling, right. That's that feeling that's gone. When we were in Stanfast over there of, you know, I don't control how and when this situation ends. I just keep doing what I can do at home. Mm-hmm. And I can't predict when it might end. Mm-hmm. I had school closed for... Was it six weeks that one time? Yeah, absolutely. Really long period. And, you know, every so often my friends are checking in. Oh, how much longer do you think it'll be? I have no clue. It literally could be tomorrow. Someone could call tonight and say, hey, we just got funds. We're opening tomorrow. The students are on their way back. Or it might be another three weeks. I have no way of knowing. So you're talking about school when you were in Liberia. Yeah. There was a time period where it... Uh, shut down because of funding for six weeks. Yeah. And you had no clue when it would happen. So on on the first day, I knew that this was probably going to be at least a week. But beyond that, I never knew when it was going to start again or not. And sure enough, when it finally did, I had two or three days notice, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, They said, all right, the funds came through. We're opening this day. (laughs) And everybody flooded back to campus all of a sudden. So... Yeah, that feeling of I have no control of the situation and also I have no idea when I will get control back or when that situation will end. And that's exactly what we're all in. We have no clue whether this will be another two weeks or four or six or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're just kind of used to that waiting game. Interesting. It's become normal for us and so it doesn't cause anxiety for us. Also, the the lack of control over bigger things in your life is funny how it manifests. Some people don't have this problem as much. Josh was better at coping, but um, I am very much a control freak. I'm a planner. I have always been that way. Um, so there being a lot of big things in life that you don't have control of uh, and having to let go of that... I wanted to be able to just entirely let go. What happened in reality was that my brain needed other things that it could control instead because that's simply part of who I am. And so, you know, there were things like death becomes a regular thing around you. Illness becomes a regular thing around you. I don't know if my students are going to be healthy tomorrow and be able to come to school with me, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Because I couldn't control that, I would then micro control other things. Like, okay, I've accepted that I might not see my students healthy at school tomorrow. However, God forbid Josh put the dish towel in the wrong place in the kitchen, I will lose it. (laughs) Because that's the small thing that I can control. (laughs) Right. So just refocusing on those little things that you actually can because most of us still have a safe home you know that Mm -hmm. we have little things around us that we can still control to a certain degree being able to just refocus on that and let go of the bigger stuff is something that um, took time to adapt to and I think a lot of people are in the middle of that transition right now and I don't know whether this will be over before they've reached that point or not but i think a lot of experience a lot of people are experiencing the same thing that i did Mm -hmm. yeah um that's real talk because i'm sure i'm sure there are people who can who can barely stay in the house together for a few days before before that next level of control kicks in Mm -hmm. um you know it's nice to have plenty of distraction and excuses to get out to be moving and to 
have your own time to do this and that and everyone can go their own separate ways because they absolutely have to. Which in one case we talk about freedom, but because of our um, economic uh, health, I guess I could say, we're, we're not really free to do what we want. Right. Right? Because you have to go and do these things or, or your own personal um, finance becomes an issue very quickly, right? So it's interesting just to, to, to you know. it's interesting to, yeah, to try to put all this together, the different ins and outs, and even what we think of as freedom here, like, is very interesting because hearing you talk about Liberia, they may be more free in some ways than we are, right? Because, right. Um, and, and that's just... It's astounding to, to, you know, attempt to step into their shoes and see the world for, uh, see the world and see the virus from their point of view and the way they have their own struggles and we have our own struggles and we're we're if we're both looking at the virus as this one thing but we have very different takes on how it is affecting us and how it's affecting the world and. Um, and even the fact that I'm assuming a lot of them live in small spaces typically. Yeah. Where And here, um, especially in, in Anchorage, it's not atypical for um, a large group of people to live in, in, in a relatively small space just because the, the cost of living is so high, which more so relates to back to our economic issues here. Um, and... But we always had the ability or, but it's more so the necessity to get out and go our separate ways um, for school and for work um, and leisure. But now having a lot of that freedom taken away is driving a lot of people to a certain um, emotional stress that they're not accustomed to which is I have to be around these people there's nowhere (laughs) there's nowhere (laughs) else that I uh can go you know um yeah I can only walk around the block so many times in my neighborhood before that's just old and we're also accustomed to when we're at home being inside that space whereas daily life in Liberia happens outside okay you cook outside you spend most of your day hanging out outside because the indoor space is so small. Like you might have a house that's a single room. And so that's the bedroom where the 10 people or whoever sleep and that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't hang out in the house all the time. I see. We're used to, you come home from work or school or whatever and you relax in your home. And you have space, your own space, so yeah. to speak. Yeah, so I think that's a little different too is that we're used to expecting to be able to, you know, disengage and just chill out in our house. And so that's becoming a stressful environment. Whereas for them, they're not used to spending their time in, in that confined space anyway. Well, it sounds to me like the common denominator across the world with this is um, the illusion that, uh, well, sorry, not across the world. It's only illusion for Westerners. Control is an illusion for us. <laughs> um, because for sure. as I was saying, like what we think of as control is really a necessity. Like we have to go out and do the things we do or economically we fail. Right. Um, so they're really... <laughs> um, I mean, but I agree with that to some degree, but you can choose not to do that, right? So that that's the freedom part. You can choose not to 
I yeah. mean, it's a hard game to play. Right. We, we've talked about that before. Like, mm-hmm. you don't really have a choice in a lot of cases. Like, we don't have alternative. There's not a lot of alternative ways to live right. outside the system, and it's been set up that way, right, to enforce itself. Mm-hmm. But you, you still have the freedom to choose. Yeah. And I think when you take away, when you don't even have that, mm-hmm. I mean, I, illusion, illusion or no illusion, like, you, you take what you can get, and when, and when you take away what little bit you had, I mean, mm-hmm. if, if, this may, if they maintain this lockdown, I think mm-hmm. people are going to get, you know, are, like I said, they're already protest, protests have started. Mm-hmm. They're not going to go away. Right. So. Um, so for humanity, you know, as at large, it's definitely made me think more about um, um, at the end of the day, who are we really? What really matters? Um, and I think there's something key about fear and control and. intelligence or just the ability to to know who we are in the midst of struggle because you kind of get a really good idea right of who we are collectively when we have to face a struggle like this all at the same time and seeing the amount of fear from my viewpoint is is not good data to to have, you know. <laughs> well, and it's um, also becoming more and more divisive too, right? Like it's becoming because it is becoming political now. It's now it's like a driving another driving wedge, right? People that want to go one way and the other group wants to go the other go this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard. It's a hard. To, it, it's a hard discussion. It's a hard. Yeah, I mean, there are so many perspectives and ways of looking at it. and But again, at the end of the day, like, we're all just trying to do our best. We're all just trying to survive, right? And it's like, when do, when is enough, when have we had enough of the division, you know? It's like... Like we're all like I'm kind of sick of hearing this, but it but it's too true on some levels. We're all in this together, which is just like this one experience that we all are calling life. We all want the same thing at the end of the day, which is safety uh, and peace of mind and food on the table and and shelter. Like those are the basic needs that we're all hoping we can can have. Um, with the people we care about and how do we how do we go about rethinking that or doing a better job of maybe just identifying what our values are even when we don't have control and or even when we realize the truth which is from the day you were born you ultimately didn't have control anyway right so Going back to, to this idea of the, there kind of being this illusion of control, but then something like a virus pops up and shows you, wait, like, this is planet Earth. Like, you don't really control anything. But you can well, continue right. this systemic way of living that 
gives you the idea that you have control of something. Um, yeah, we were talking about that the other day because Josh was saying, you know, we keep hearing people refer to the new normal. What's going to be the new normal? Mm-hmm. And um, we're making all these big changes. We're, this is our opportunity to make these huge changes. So, like, I don't like this. What? What I? I'm not. I'm not getting asked what decision we're going to make. <laughs> Josh is about to go off. I can tell. No, I'm, I, I cut, so, cut her off. But my my response to that was what I predict. And of course, I'm not an expert, but my my best guess from my anecdotal experiences with people is that the majority of our population felt comfortable enough with how everything was before the chaos happened, that all they want is for things to go back to being that way. Mm-hmm. They're... Yes, we, in politics, we talk about changes that we want to make for things to get better. And there's disagreements on what better would be or how to achieve those things. But in general, most people are mostly comfortable with how things are going. Like, they, right. they want there to be small tweaks. They don't want there to be huge changes because they don't feel a need for huge changes in their life. Right. And so I think what I expect to see happen when we reach the point that we're able to start reopening things and um, taking away some of the restrictions is that most of the population will want to reach and they will do everything they can to make things return to the previous state with as much immediacy as possible Mm -hmm. because that's what they want to just feel comfortable to have those things that you were talking about to have shelter and food and peace of mind Mm -hmm. it gave them peace of mind to have that feeling of regularity and normalcy Mm -hmm. Um, so personally that's what i expect to see is that people Right. Try to find their way back to that as efficiently as they can. But that's the problem, right? Is the fear is that by maintaining this lockdown for however much longer, there's going to be fewer and fewer people able to do that. Their, their opportunity is yes. being destroyed because of this, right? And so you're going to have more and more people that will not be able to get back to normal. Because their, their normal was destroyed and there's not going to be a way to get back to it. Okay, but if you look at industries that have dwindled in recent decades, they don't want big changes. They want a way to go back to what it was before, right? Like if you look at the coal industry, they love Trump because he said he would bring back coal. There have been so many people who have tried to get their attention by saying, we'll help you with retraining. We'll help you by you know, leading you to this other thing that could make you comfortable. It just means some changes, right? But that's not what they want. They want it to go back to being the well, same. Well, then you're getting into a classic personality difference between conservatives and liberals because yes. change versus state stability. Right. If you know something's working, why would you change it, right? And that's like a classic, you know, if why would you, why you fix something that isn't broken? I mean, you can find reasons it's broken, but if it's not broken for them, right. Why would they want to change? It's not so broken it, for them. I it's, guess stability is what I'm getting at because people want stability in the way that they had it previously. Yeah. Yeah. They don't want big changes that will give them a new type of stability or a new way to reach the pre-existing stability. Right, because they just want the same thing. That's the but that's the fear of the unknown because you don't know that that new stability even exists. Yeah. Right. Right? 
Like that's that's like classic Peterson stuff. He's talked about that in the past. Right. There's our own neighbor. Well, it does take um, it does take courage to innovate and try to put new ways of, of thinking or new systems in place that hopefully can um, alleviate old problems that we got comfortable with because that's another part right. of comfort, right? It's like, well, it's not perfect, but this is the best we've got here now and we're comfortable with letting it go the way it is as long as it doesn't do too much damage. Um, how do, you know, so finding ways to improve, I, I mean, I think humanity has existed for as long as it has because we do find ways to improve and innovate. No, we adapt. Um, we're great at adapting to shitty conditions. Absolutely. Right. So, I think it's definitely a time to think about moving forward and so that economically nothing like this happens again. But oh, that's how not, do we even that's not think true. About They've already, they're already setting the game up to go longer. All the bailouts, everything. It's, wow. That's the changes I'm afraid of is they, they're going to put people on UBI mm-hmm. and like, I, I don't know, like what... That's the unknown that scares me. That's it's the like, unknown that's scary, yeah. I right, agree. because like, what, is, what do they want people to do? What right. What are they wanting people to do? Go do what you want to do. Like, what? Most people work, like, we are working animals. Like, we, that's, that is what we do. Like, we, we are, there's like, there's artisans, right? You're like yourself, you're, you're, a, you're a creator. Some people don't, that's, that's not in them. Right. Right? They're, they're warriors or they're, they're workers, or mm-hmm. you know, they're like, like historically through the time, like people, the trades of, of you know, thousands of years ago. I would say nurturers. Is nurturers, right? A healers, right? Like you right. get back down to your basic functions to survive. Right. But if you have a state, or even a, what seems to be more and more a state, corporate hybrid, because they're always more and more intertwined. Yeah. Um. Now they're going to just give you money to exist within their system. Now you don't even have a, a reason to exist. Like, you don't have the ability. Now you don't need to provide. It's being provided for you. A lot of people's main thing in life is to provide for their family one way or another. Right. Like, you take that away from people, like, you're messing with psychology at a level that we don't understand. We think there are addictive issues uh, mental health issues now. Right. But if you take away um, a person's ability to express themselves by work and the ability to feel good about themselves by producing being, being something, productive, that's right. Then that issue goes through the roof. Addiction, drug abuse. Right. Well, because we're talking about people losing their don't have a uh, they don't have any goals because the society's become so damn easy. Like you don't have to worry about anything already for mo- for a lot of people. Well, you know, you um, don't have any direction. I've had two conversations in the last week related to that. Um, you can make you can potentially make more money being unemployed now than showing up to work every day. Like, and I'm I know that there are people who are unemployed who now make more money in a month than, than I do and like I go into an office every day yep. you know and that's um, interesting I, I don't even know what to think about that honestly right well, that's now. What they, they were saying like all these essential employees that yeah they're keeping their jobs but they're putting their lives on you know 
in theory, they're putting their lives on the line or, or bodies on the line, maybe not dying, but their bodies on the line, working longer hours, providing for everybody else, mm-hmm. but they're not getting any any bonus check. They're not getting anything. I mean, I guess everyone's getting the stimulus check in theory, yeah. but the um, as far as like the, the unemployment benefits are greater than what they're making, then... What's the incentive to work? At what point does all of this hit the fan in the, in the sense that everyone, it's hard to, we can't know what's coming next, right? All we can do is kind of read the signs and pay attention and go, wait, what are we as a people thinking? What's the government thinking? Where is this headed? Um, or where could it be headed, right? Which is, mm-hmm. it doesn't look good right now. Like none of it looks good. It's like, well, even if things get back to normal, We've already, we're already hitting such a rock bottom that there really is no back to, if normal was up here, we're now here. So going back to work, we got to start right here just to try to climb back. And it's, it's, it's over, it's an overwhelming thought that there are so many businesses that have to shut down, which means those employees have no job to go back to, you know, and even if the business can magically reopen, can it hire all of its employees back? Most likely not. You know, it's just like, so how much more stimulus do we need to sustain things once we uh, open things back up? Okay, we're still starting here. Now, how much more stimulus is it going to take to kind of give us the next bump? It's not just going to be, okay, let's, you know, like, <laughs> it's, it's not going to turn around like that, you know? Um, so, yeah. If you don't know how to be self-sufficient, we used to think, here in the West, we think of self-sufficiency as being able to clock in for your eight hours a day. That's considered self-sufficient, right? Self-sufficiency. financially it provides you with what you need to be seen as self-sufficient. But true self-sufficiency is being able to provide for your own self. Meaning, where does my food come from? How do I uh, keep my shelter intact in or create a shelter for myself? Mm-hmm. Um, how do I get clean water? Like, this is true self-sufficiency. Yeah. I have, we have a, a family friend who has been posting a lot on Facebook lately about now is the time to be planting. <laughs> like, for sure. Here's all the information I can give you. There's free, I want to say Alaska Mill and Feed was doing like online classes. Okay. Yeah, they were. Um, that kind of thing, like, here's how you can get seeds even though you can't go to the store right now, kind of thing. Um, well, maybe um, you can help me gather some of those links that I can leave for anyone who's interested in, in knowing some of that stuff. Yeah. Um, because especially, I mean, it's springtime everywhere now, so it's a good mm-hmm. time to... Yeah, I thought it was funny when this was uh, being promoted four weeks ago. And I was like, it's still snowing. I can't plant things yeah. right now. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. maybe seed starts in my house is the best I could accomplish. But we're all finally in that season now where it's feasible. Yeah, um, so this is a great thing to talk about just really quickly because I think we're coming up on an hour. We're just over an hour um, that we could neighbors communities can work together to build above ground garden boxes and, mm-hmm. and work to help each other out. Um, um, so yeah, it's nice that, you know, in Alaska, we have a lot of open space to, to hunt 
and fish seasonally. So hopefully we'll still be allowed to do that. <laughs> I guess we'll see how that they tried. turns out. Did you hear that they, they tried that? It only lasted a day because they, the backlash was so strong. I didn't they, hear. They were going to cancel spring the spring bear hunt. Okay. Black I think black no all bear. Okay. Um was it was it backlash though, huh? I can't remember it, it was hmm. yeah, I can't remember the dates, but yeah, they were gonna cancel spring no no spring black bear. Okay. And literally the next day they rescinded <laughs> because people they they went online and people signed petitions, started making phone calls, and there was so much so many people saying, what in the hell do you think you're doing? Right. Like, people going hunting, like, like, oh, we don't want more people, you know, driving the roads from, you know, going from one community to another community, you know, to, mm. to help keep it from spreading. That's a joke. Everything like, shut down community to community. Where right. are we going to go except Fred Meyer? Or a like gas that? station, yeah. What kind right. of thinking is that? It's ridiculous. Like, well, it's like more, like, everything, all their decisions are out of fear. They, not, they, their only thing is they don't want to see something bad happen on their watch, right? So they're, it's, it's, all, it's all politically motivated to like... Because <laughs> they don't want to be blamed later for having right. not made You should have done this. You should have done that. You know, which they're, they're doing anyway. So don't, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Right, exactly. So you yeah, might as well do what, what is the best You're thing. in a rock and hard place with, with that. Unfortunately, humans have not yet learned to be understanding of their own faults like me just thinking about me mm-hmm. I am so imperfect I am so fallible in, in every line of thinking and I may convince myself very assertively that that um, I've got some things figured out but at the end of the day I can make so many mistakes I don't expect one person in some kind of position of, of power or on some committee to be any different and especially if you're trying to... Well, it's dangerous if they are, though, if they're not. like, And that seems to be like they're narcissists, right? Like, right. that's what politicians are. That's the kind of people that want to be politicians. <laughs> right? Like, we, we don't have good leaders anymore. Well, Good yeah. leaders aren't... Our good leaders are within communities, for sure. Right. But no one wants to step up that kind of limelight because you'd have to be truly narcissistic and think you are... You know, that your shit don't stink because you're going to take criticism from all sides all the time. It's a rough job for sure. Right. And then it just, then they, like, you get so used to it, then you stop caring what anybody thinks and then you just do whatever you want, right? Like, that's how it feels from looking from the outside. I think there are still good ones out there. They're just fewer and further between. No, they all suck. They have to be out there. (laughs) They are. I think... They have uh, to be. My, um, to make sure my we mother do had a very good friend from high school who was in the state legislature for a long time. And every impression that I ever got from him was that his he was there to serve his community. and As best as he can within the system right. and boundaries and I, he's given. I think that you can have, you know, you're going to get lots of criticism, but you can also process that in a healthy way, knowing I'm imperfect there are ultimately always going to be people who disagree with me. Yes, sometimes I'm going to make bad decisions, but I did it for term limits with, would help with the right intention. I didn't intentionally right? try to. Um, I think there are down. still people like that yeah. in yeah. leadership. It's just that yes, there are a lot of people there for other reasons as well who don't have that ability. Yeah, I think we should all take turns. It shouldn't. 
There shouldn't be there shouldn't be such thing as a career politician. Everybody should have it should be like it should be like um, jury duty. Hmm. Well, that's I could a thought. see a lot of <laughs> potential pitfalls in that plan too, but nothing is perfect. <laughs> yeah, I mean it would have some boundaries and guidelines of its own, I'm sure, to keep certain things in place or not in place. But I mean. Well, it makes everyone civically engaged, right? Like, this is a way of, of saying, you know, or thinking outside the box. Okay, how do we innovate? How do we change? Because if there's if there are things about our system that we're uncomfortable with, there are things about how we <coughs> make decisions um, at the community level or, yeah, uh, how can we make it better? It'll never be perfect because humans by nature are not perfect, so... Speak for yourself, man. How can we, <laughs> how can we make it better? Um, how can we take economic incentive out of the equation so that there's less of that in people's minds, right, as they go into this? Well, um, we're uh, driven to cult. We're, we've always been driven to acquire resources, no matter what that resource is, right? It seems to be in our DNA because that's how we survive so well is because we're super adaptable and um oh what's a go-getter what's the word for um driven driven yeah motivated i guess motivated that's a good word because we're gonna we're gonna survive no matter what and if that means that we're gonna outcompete the neighbors or what you know like that's right it's the reason like they had to create an ideology about treating your name you know cooperation over independent there's something inherent about <coughs> mankind humanity that we do struggle with the ego and i've been writing a lot of about that in addition to the ip book right mm-hmm. um I was like, man, the struggle with the biggest struggle that we have with identity is our own ego. And that's something that is personal, but it's familial and it's cultural and it's national. And then it covers the whole world like and it's it's a problem because the ego is what drives the ambition for um self-preservation above above other values which just should be the the goodwill to everyone you know right like if if self-preservation if you can translate that to everybody survives then i survive right there you go if we can begin to think that way about our systems um which is what this whole talk has been about, essentially, is how are we thinking as a people? How do we design our society to support the, I guess, most life-promoting ways of living? <laughs> um, if, if we can begin to focus on each other uh, in a more loving way, essentially, <coughs> then we may begin to make some innovations that can, can last fall apart so so quickly thanks for listening to the healing voice podcast 
feel free to email me at thehealingvoicetv at gmail.com. Stay tuned for the upcoming podcast titled Bible Redefined. It's not what you think it is or what you've been told. It's going to be amazing and I believe it will be very eye-opening for many people. The Healing Voice is also on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, BitChute, and Library.tv. That's LBRY.tv. Library is a decentralized, blockchain-based global content hub where there is no external control or censorship. The content is owned by the users and the authors, and they get paid via cryptocurrency. I recommend checking it out. I'll leave the links in the description. See you next time.